1: Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hi, this is Henry Gilra, co-executive producer of Star Wars Rebels. You're listening to Aggressive Negotiations.
2: Welcome everybody to Aggressive Negotiations. I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and we're coming up you from uh well the the Salt Flats of Crate. It's just fantastic out here. I mean, getting some fantastic rays. I got to say. And with me, as he is always, the ever toned, ever tan, John Mills.
0: Yes, thank you. The you're catching the rays on Crate. You said. Yeah. Did you get that? spelling
2: Those. Isn't (laughs) that great?
0: oh man Um, just such good stuff mm, um mm. it's the best thing to come out of creighton in 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 a while yeah Yeah.
2: well uh (laughs) you know i gotta say um it is uh it's great to be here john and uh, we are going to be talking uh all things Last Jedi Extras, the things that we learned from the Extras, um, this uh, you know, home release is now out for digital, and like Blu-ray, 4K, DVD, yada yada, I mean, I, I said they don't do Betamax anymore, but it's all out now, and we've gotten <laughs> a chance to take a look at it all, and we're going to be talking about it, but before we do that, uh, just a quick reminder, man, you could find... The Nerd Party all over the place. the uh, Nerd Party is on Twitter, at Join Nerd Party. We also have the show account for Aggressive Negotiations at the Jedi Masters. Now, follow both of those places because we have great information coming in to you from the network. And if you love all things Star Wars, uh, then you should be following us here at the Jedi Masters because uh, that's all we do is Star Wars goodness all the time on that Twitter feed. Uh, you can also uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thenerdparty. We've got the website at thenerdparty.com. While you're over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts so looking us up, and uh, make sure you subscribe and give us a star rating review. Um, gosh, you know, I, you probably hear this all the time from every single podcast. But it really does help the show. It helps more people find us. There are a lot of Star Wars podcasts out there. And if you like what we do here, let people know that by giving us that star rating review and letting people know why you think they should be listening. Uh, and, of course, if you would like to send us an email, go over to thenerdparty.com slash contact, choose a show, choose Aggressive Negotiations, and then I'll come to John and I. We'll be able to talk to you that way. So uh john uh the the extras were just loaded um and i wanted to start actually uh here which is with the deleted scenes Mm -hmm. because this is one of the few star wars movies that we really have gotten i would say a plethora of deleted scenes and so uh i mean and i was um I was surprised how many there were, but, um, even, you know, Ryan Johnson came on beforehand and, and said, you know, Hey, you know, there was a lot of stuff. The movie was very long. We had to cut out some of my favorite stuff, but we're, we're leaving it here for you. So, um, I figured we'd just walk through some of these. Some I'm sure that will probably be like, Oh, we don't, and that doesn't really do anything, whatever. Yeah. And some of these, we might have a more lengthy conversation on, but the very first deleted scene here is an alternate opening and um, I'm interested to hear what you think about this because it is uh, quite a bit different actually
0: yeah I think it's quite a bit better honestly I I do I because the thing is that the the stamp that the last Jedi has been trying to uh, stand itself up on is that it's been a reversal of expectations and I think that the way that the you know, this alternate opening goes is is the type of different that would have been more intriguing to me uh than what they went with. And I think it also would have allowed people, even if you still have the 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 Poe prank call bit, it's at least eased into. It's you're given distance to reacclimate yourself. And it's not a splash of cold water saying, what's huh? It's it, i I just think it's a smoother opening, uh, personally. I'm still not nuts about the fact that the transitional cue from the crawl up fanfare is literally recycled from episode four. But hey, if wishes were fishes, um w- what type of reaction did you have?
2: You know, um, so I've read the novelization. I know you haven't got a chance to get to it with yeah. your busy schedule with a family and all. And uh so there is a great scene in that, which is the funeral for Han. And that's that's how the main story opens. And um, I, I really actually liked that because I felt like what it did is it allowed you to ease into this movie. But it also, uh, it it helped with the flow of the film in the sense that because we're gonna be jumping back and forth between Octu and this Resistance story, by having the film start off slower, you get the feeling like more time has passed yes. because obviously Rey's journey has to take time uh, because we actually go back in time a little bit in the sense that you know we see her the moment she's handing the lightsaber to Luke and so that I feel like this opening does that same thing. It gives more breathing room and you get the feeling like. You know, they got back to the resistance. You know, they knew that this was going to be coming. That's why they've been preparing for this. Poe even makes um, that suggestion of saying, well, we knew this was coming um, and that they were going to find us. And I just think it gives um, it's not that it slows down everything, but it's just that I think it brings us into where we are for the film uh, in a way that contextualizes things better. Yes. Um and it allows you to kind of like I, I think kind of breathe into it more. Um and, and so I, I was interested in I was interested in the fact that this alternate opening got cut because I'm surprised that it did. Um it seems like uh I actually it seems like more of a surprise to start with Finn waking up. You know, yeah. like if you're if subverting expectations, you know, I think that is actually the expectation. That's really an expectation subverter. So, um, right. yeah, to me, it, this it was just, uh, yeah, so.
0: Yeah, it doesn't open with a ship. I think it's a more interesting visual, uh, you know, I mean, yes, there's a ship, but, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it's. I think it's a more interesting visual change. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, and it's really and, unique too. Yeah. And, and I, th- I know we'll get to talking about the documentary, but you actually hear him talking about changing the opening, uh, in the, in the documentary. And I just, I mean, it, it was, it's, I, I think it's a case of, uh, somebody second guessing themselves and somebody, I wish somebody had been there and said, nah, you can let this one stand. It's cool. You well,
2: know? and, and I'll, I'll, I'll reference the documentary a little bit here too, because, um uh it, watching it you can see that johnson second guesses himself a lot yeah um he he seems to be very wishy-washy in the sense of being firmly planted that he's doing the right thing in a lot of places and especially some of the biggest uh decisions that he makes uh about luke um about something like the opening and things like this he doesn't have a set idea of what he wants to do and it's not that jj thing where he's on set and he's like oh this is gonna be awesome if we do this you know like it's not that frenetic energy of like you got the this new idea that just came to you as you're seeing the setup it's it's more of that kind of like frantic um uh, scaredness of like am i doing the right thing with this story here and he doesn't seem to necessarily well feel always that he is completely doing exactly what he thinks he should be doing
0: well and here here's where i'm going to draw a difference um and again you know like i feel i do honestly think that the discussion about the last Jedi can get so charged sometimes oh yeah that, yeah that it, it's kind of crazy but i do honestly think that there's a difference between what lucas did which was he knew he was going to have to go and shoot pickups and he he's also notorious for shooting a lot of stuff on set. And then, you know, he's a, I'm going to make it in the editing room. Right. And I think that I would have been less surprised if we saw him in the editing room and he sees a cut of the film and he says, this isn't working, we got to fix it, which is the sort of approach that I think is typical of a Lucas or other directors out there, as opposed to I'm still on set shooting things and I've been thinking about it. And I'm not so sure about it. It's like you got to let it, you got to let it breathe. And if you're going to make a change like that, I I mean, you know, but every director is different. Maybe this is how he works on every film. Maybe this is just what he does. And so I, I'm not going to peg it with like a negative. I'm just going to say that it was surprising to me because I'm more used to the mindset of, well, let's see
2: how it works. And then we'll decide whether to fix it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I agree. So, um, the next uh, deleted scene was uh Page's guns jam uh, during the battle there. Uh, and you know, I I think this is definitely a a scene that doesn't necessarily yeah. need to to be there. Um, I I think it's one of those things where you shot it and and you know it you get it into the editing room and it's just it's just not necessary.
0: Yeah, it's an, it's an extra beat that just adds time. It doesn't right. add anything to the character really.
2: Well, and, you know, the only thing it does is connect you again with the metal that she has that Rose has, and it connects them with as sisters. And that's not a bad idea. Um, I just think in that scene, it, it it's just it, when you're cutting it all together, that's definitely one I think, you know, you can let go, and you don't feel like you are losing anything in the long run. So, um, whereas the next one, uh, Luke has a moment, um... I I I I am speechless as to why this is not in the film. Yeah. I agree. Uh
0: I think it's so brief and I think that and the thing is I don't view it as um, cuz I I had this conversation with uh Mike Schindler uh you know on Great Shot Kid recently. I don't think that it's something where now it's being cast where you know in my discussion with him he was like oh well I like the green milk better, and you don't need this scene because it's still, you can have both because this is so... Yeah, absolutely. And for anybody who doesn't know, Mark Hamill made a comment where he said, I don't understand why you could show me you know, milking the cow, but you couldn't show me having a tear for Han. And I think that it would have eased the audience into Luke's journey and Luke's place in the story more to see him instantly, very early on, express pain and regret about what's happening.
2: Well, and this is something that um, references the Balance of the Force uh, documentary, this 10-minute this yeah. documentary they did, where he talks about the idea of why Luke is there. Uh, and Luke believes he's there because he is learning the lesson he thinks that he didn't learn in Empire. And uh, okay. so the, the, that idea... Plays into this that he would feel these feelings then, right? You know, like he would. Yeah. So it's like that never really plays out in the movie whatsoever. Uh, it's it's kind of retroactively. I feel like Johnson's saying that's what I was going for, but I don't feel like I get that necessarily in the film strong enough, especially well, if you're not a super geek it, fan like it. us. So, I, well, that see, would have at least been one of those moments that kind of helped with that. The, the,
0: this is see, this is the the reason I'm chomping at the bit here. I, I know we're we're trying to go through the deleted scenes, but since we brought up Balance of the Force, and you know the the fact that you know the the Luke's journey and everything, I forgive me, I have to divert to it at this point because you specifically bring up something that just went off like a firecracker for me while I was watching the Balance of the Force uh, little featurette mini documentary thing. My sense, and we've talked about this with The Force Awakens and uh, also with the, the you know not believing Kylo can be redeemed and everything, we had a whole episode where we talked about what's the value of redemption in the Star Wars storyline now. And both The Force Awakens and now The Last Jedi, and The Last Jedi explicitly through Johnson's own words, both make reference back to The Empire Strikes Back in such a way that it vaults Past anything that happened in terms of character growth for Luke in Return of the Jedi. I think that it makes it was very illuminating to me to watch that featurette because I say, oh yeah, well if you consider the Empire Strikes Back, you're jumping off point? Okay, I see what you're talking about here. But Luke demonstrates having learned that lesson and having figured things out in Return of the Jedi. You have to make a conscious decision to jump away from Return of the Jedi to have this work, and it just supports that idea of why it was like the question we've all had since The Force Awakens. Why, why didn't Kylo assign any weight to that yeah. revelation that he has in Return of the Jedi? Well, apparently because the filmmakers are, are blowing past it, too. And if that works for people, okay it very decidedly doesn't work for me. And I, I think that yep. just put the finger right on it at the source of uh, some of my issues.
2: Well, and, and um, you know, I think as we walk through these deleted scenes, we'll get this opportunity, but on honestly, to keep talking about some other things, but I, I to, to continue on with that thread for just a second, um, I, I think that it's the thing that for me doesn't work as well, because what he also says about Luke's, uh, feelings about the Jedi seem very incongruous as well, that they have been nothing but problems for the galaxy um, and that they they need to die, like the light needs to rise from another source. And yet I, I, I still can't understand that rationale when um, I look back at the canon of Star Wars and from what we know, and I was just re-watching the, uh, the Zygerian arc in the Clone Wars, and the, one of the Zygerian slavers is incensed and, and just angry at the Jedi when he's beating the crap out of Obi-Wan Kenobi because the Jedi are the ones who destroyed their slaver empire a thousand years ago. And so it's yeah. like the Jedi have had an amazing impact on the galaxy. Well, um, I- And so to say that, that they have only brought problems to the galaxy – in the span of when we're talking thousands of years here, right? Is just ridiculous. And it, and again, I, I come down to the fact that it all comes down to the idea that I feel like Luke has that feeling because he screwed up thinking he was kind of following these Jedi tendencies and, assigning well then now the Jedi just need to end and again that it seems to me to become a, a, a sign well, of arrogance and not necessarily have anything but, really to do with whether the Jedi should end or not.
0: Yeah, I I mean we're I, I know that we're we're getting dangerously into that territory so re uh, of reprosecuting arguments yeah. that we've had. But but <laughs> you know, to be clear, I don't necessarily take issue with sort of exploring that because the end of Return of the Jedi is Luke my issue with it is again vaulting past Return of the Jedi ignores yeah. the fact that by the end of yeah. that, Luke does symbolize that new way, that new light that rises. So if you yes, if they had yeah. simply had a moment where Luke says, the problem is, I tried to do it the way it had been done before and I was the one that figured out the new path forward. You know, but yes, that, that's yes. well, you know, and, that's and, a whole thing.
2: Right, absolutely. And, and I think that the other thing that for me, uh, has, has really crystallized is that the the reason that Johnson has for him to be on the island, um, and he talked about this idea in the in the documentary and in The Balance of the Force, like, why is he there? For him, Luke Skywalker's not a coward, right? Why would he be there? And it's because, obviously, he thinks he needs to do this lesson of Empire Strikes Back, basically. I need to stay here because you know, I'm going to cause more problems than I, I solve. And on top of that, negating what we get in Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. I, I think that also neg- negates the 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 way in which Luke himself set up in The Force Awakens, just a film before. Yeah, uh, he left a map for himself to be found. Right. Yes. I. I and now I, yes. he all of a sudden doesn't want to be found, and so like. Well. It, right. It, even even with the, its previous, just the the very film right before this this doesn't really feel like it fits and and this moment that they cut out i feel like was just a great moment for luke to kind of bring it all back around where he feels the weight of not being out there
0: well let's 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 tie this back in because you know you and you and i've talked you know offline you know uh uh, on the other side of the negotiations however we want to say it about that map because Laura Santeca has a map to Luke (laughs) and you don't leave a map if you don't want to be found and unless you say well I'm removing myself until somebody figures out how to come and get me then I'll know it's time Blah 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 but let's tie that back into the deleted scenes I know we're jumping ahead a little bit so let, let's just say we'll we'll inevitably wind up coming back to this with one of the deleted scenes. What's the next in our list of deleted yeah, scenes? Yeah,
2: the next one uh, is Poe, not much of a sewer. Uh, and this is another scene that's very small, but yeah. I felt like it's a, it's a moment that helps Finn's character um, and help him explain to the audience why he's going to do what he's going to do in just a, mu- a moment when he tries to leave. Because right. for him this is still all about protecting his friend ray the only person that he's really truly connected with uh in this way uh and i think it's it's again this the scene is like like 30 40 seconds and it, and i don't know why it's not there because again it's just context
0: right you could have cut some of the farrier racing just for the sake of having <laughs>
2: no you could you could trim No that. i i agree with you i mean it let's just talk about it for a second i mean cuz we can just get it out of the way right now it's already a deleted scene in here because it was even longer than it was it's like uh, it makes you long for the days of pod racing because at least that had a story point for anakin this is just needless like racing through a city because hey it looks kind of cool yeah
0: i mean and the thing is star wars there are plenty of sequences where hey it just looks kind of cool i mean that you know I I'll go back one of my one of the criticisms I have for Attack of the Clones is that uh that that speeder chase on Coruscant takes a little long. Yeah. And I th- i thought there was stuff they could have included um you know on Naboo with the nabari family instead of having you know you could yes. have cut that in half and it would have been et cetera et cetera et cetera. So j- just so people know that it's not like I, I ignore the flaws of 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 length in in, no, absolutely. in other ways. But yes, I mean the pod race as much as people have complained about the length of that at least demonstrates how special a kid anakin is that he can do that thing this is it's it's horse racing i guess but yeah i i mm-hmm. just i mean th- i actually saved this for the last one because to to watch because i just i just dreaded going back to it because i was just like i just i don't i can't do this you know like i just i'm so i All that to say, they made the right choice to uh, go with a shorter version.
2: What do you think of, um, there's another small scene with Finn and BB-8, it's uh, kind of weird that you recorded that.
0: You know, what's funny is I've complained about the Marvel humor that is in The Last Jedi that makes it feel like a Marvel movie. But this actually feels more like the Finn humor we got in The Force Awakens, so I didn't Mind this joke, and I mean to speak to your point about supporting why Finn is so focused. It makes him look like less of a deserter and actually more of a hero to go after Ray, and emphasize that. Mm-hmm. Is yep. it necessary to include? I don't know, but I I wouldn't have minded it.
2: Yeah. Again, I I mean I I don't need to talk a long time on this. I just think it 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 is a fun one in the sense that. And I think it's just a good character moment for Finn. Again, yeah. it helps explain his character and why he's doing what he he does. And again, I feel like watching a lot of these scenes, the editing of the film bothers me because it's cutting a, one of my biggest problems with the entire sequel trilogy, but especially this one, is context, You know, and like context is so important in storytelling, especially with character moments. And I'm just surprised that some of these didn't make it because um, the next scene is the caretaker sizes up Ray (laughs) and this is not necessary, but I love the whimsy of it with the caretakers. And I I feel like Mm -hmm. I would have loved more of this than maybe necessarily Luke milking space cows just because... It it's just it's a fun little interaction between Luke and Ray and this caretaker and all that and I I thought it was great and again it's a a minute scene you know so I uh, I
0: you know I can take it or leave it um but to come back to the the you know the space cow scene I'm actually you know I actually really like that because Luke's whole thing in that is you know we we learn about his living off the land but also. Mm-hmm. He's taking joy because it it somehow revolts Ray, yeah. (laughs) Which in and of itself is surprising because Ray is somebody who two days previously um, was living in abject poverty with food that had to be, you know, generated from drops of water. (laughs) I think I think she'd if anything Ray would be like, oh my gosh, you have an endless supply of milk. That's amazing.
2: Well, yeah. And I, uh, I think, you know, for her just being around that much water too, like, yeah, it is an interesting thing to think for her life, how crazy it's gotten. Um, the next one is, is probably the biggest scene that gets cut from the film, I would Mm -hmm. say. And that is the third lesson. Uh, and I would say, um, unequivocally, like Luke has a moment. This is another scene that should absolutely 100% be in the film, yes. Because it is again, I think, pivotal for context, and it's 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 the context of the the battle between what Ray believes and what Luke believes.
0: And Luke's realization at the end of the scene, very apparent in his performance, of have I made a terrible, terrible mistake? I made a huge,
2: terrible mistake, Michael.
0: I got to be honest with you, and I I know how people loved seeing Yoda and everything. I honestly think if you have this scene, you don't even need that tree scene with Yoda. You have enough in this and Luke's reaction at the end of it that him coming back makes sense afterward.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, and so... In the book, uh, in the novelization, this scene happens. Mm-hmm. Ray storms off uh, and has her moment in the cave, and Luke goes and has his moment where he opens himself up to the Force for the first time uh, mm-hmm. and feels Leia. And that, and on his way down uh, to Ray's hut, his thought process is: I, she's right. I can't, I can't just stay here. I have to, and that's the moment when he catches her and, you know, uh, uh, Kylo playing patty fingers and gets all pissed and then decides he's not going to leave again. Um, so, but there is that really strength. Uh, I, I think there's that strength of a narrative there, like you're saying, where it really does, you know, help that, that progression of Luke realizing, no, he's the one that's wrong. Not right. Um, yeah. which I, I think, again, if you had been able to pull that story out like that really hard to 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 really show Luke coming around, I think I would have I would have responded better to the story. Yeah, even just the way it is, just with these scenes and kind of maybe using some other things to pull it out even farther. I think you could have done it and I could have come around to it. But they didn't and it's frustrating so um yep mega mega destroyer incursion the extended version uh with uh tom hardy's cameo uh what did you think of this one i'm grateful they cut it
0: because if they had spent (laughs) longer on there i would have been (laughs) even more annoyed
2: yeah me too no i felt exactly the same way um i i liked the tension uh for them in the uh turbo lift until that until it turns into a joke. Yep. Uh so yes, the tension was great. And if that, if that actually had been the only thing that they had done, it just had that tension um and had less of it a joke of like, "Hey, Finn, congratulations." You know, like that would have been interesting cuz well, still it's uncomfortable.
0: Also think about it, it's also another thing that that has kind of bothered me about the fact that okay, I I went along with it in Force Awakens of, oh, I was stationed on Starkiller Base. I know, you know, what's going on. Okay, cool. And then I was a bit annoyed that in this, oh, well, I was also stationed on the Mega Destroyer. So is there a really small janitorial core in, you know, in the first order? You You just go everywhere. <laughs> but okay, we'll work with that. And then to run across somebody in this gigantic organization in the elevator... They've done a lot just to make the first order feel smaller and smaller. Yeah. So I'm yeah. glad that this was cut because it didn't work to undercut the size of the first order as a result.
2: Well, what did, uh, I mean, I think I know what the answer is, but Finn biting the hand that taunts her. Um, oh, Ray, uh, you mean Rose. Rose. Rose biting, sorry, Rose biting the hand that taunts her, right? Just, um, yeah, doesn't need to be there. They made a good call. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Now, what they didn't make a good call on, and I'm going to call this again unequivocally should have been in the movie, is Fa- Phasma squealed like a whoop hog because dang this scene is so good.
0: I wanted to scream in frustration when I saw the alternate version of Phasma's Like an demise. angry
2: Wookiee?
0: <laughs> yeah, I I was floored. I was absolutely floored. Because I would have been down with this. I think this would have been an amazing moment. And given Finn a purpose. Yes. A, you know, in arc. he finally stands up to the person that intimidated him in in The Force Awakens. And not just, he doesn't have anybody backing him up. He's standing up to her. It makes his character yep. better and stronger. And instead, she goes off screen in a way where they can bring her back in the next one.
2: Well, and this, this is the, I think it also makes the moment of him choosing because when he says rebel scum, yeah, like he's choosing to identify himself with the people that they think are scum. Yeah. And like, yeah, I'm proud to be that. Like that's the moment where he, he makes that decision. And I think it's so strong. Um, I also think just for us who wrote, read the comic and the book, it nicely ties all of that together with everything that they told us about phasma and it makes her less of just like this weird accessory they keep throwing in uh, that's kind of
0: meaningless and she even gets a moment where she gets to be more of a bad uh badass uh because a bad mama jamma yeah she gets to gun down uh the other troopers She's a yep. super quick draw and you're like, whoa, that's awesome. Like you see this flash of how awesome she is, why she's wearing the chrome armor. And yeah, I, it baffles me why this was cut. It really does.
2: So uh the other scene that we got was Finn and Ray go where they belong. I mean, I I think if you had, had the Phasma scene in there, it's it's definitely not needed. And even when you don't have the Phasma scene that same way, I still think this one is, I mean, it's just a tiny little beat, but it it's not needed. Yeah, agree. Um, what I did kind of like was the Ray and Chewie and the Falcon, because it just brings them back into the film instead of it just being like, then they don't show up until like later. And so it just, it just brings in that continuity a little bit. It's not necessarily needed, but I, again, I liked it for context.
0: Well, I have a lot of complicated feelings about the whole crate thing and the Falcon Chase in that. So uh, all that being said, yeah, I mean, it's another thing where it's so brief. Like, I can understand being on the fence and then cutting something that's like, you know, a four-minute alternate version or a four-minute scene or we need to save time so we're going to do this. But it's these little 30-second things where nobody would have noticed it in terms yeah. of running time. So, I, I don't know.
2: So, I um, I wanted to ask you, because we had talked about it, uh, was there anything else for you that you got out of the Balance of the Force documentary? Uh, it's about 10 minutes, a little over 10 minutes long. Uh, was there anything else that you pulled from that that you thought was interesting? I, I mean, it. it, it
0: I, I think that there's a misconception that when people have criticisms of The Last Jedi or certain things of it, it's because in some way they didn't understand it. But it didn't really blow my mind with any other thing other than having that, what I said, you know, what I called the firecracker moment where I put the finger on it, where I was like, that's it. They just confirmed they're ignoring Return of the Jedi. If I ignore Return of the Jedi, The Last Jedi works better. And I was like, okay, I understand the thinking at least, I. Uh, so now, now I get it. What What about you? Was there anything else you uh, took from it?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, um, you know, Brian saying that he kind of wanted to do a reset on the force for all the new kids coming in, and I kind of get what he's saying. And I honestly don't have a problem with you know the connection between Ray and Kylo. Um, I don't have a problem with the force power that Luke has of you know. Uh, putting himself on crate, even though he's not there. No, um, I, think I don't that's really fine. have it. Yeah, I don't have any problems with any of the things that he did there. Um, I, I think the thing that I, I, what he talked about in there that I just had the most issue with was, um, I really take uh, umbrance with the fact that I, I don't understand how Luke can think what he's thinking unless, like you said it's almost as though Return of the Jedi doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, because Luke already has learned this lesson and actually learned it very well uh, because that's what Return of the Jedi is all about is him overcoming that lesson actually in a way that, you know, Yoda and Obi-Wan did not expect. And so I, I think that's that's the thing that just kind of got me there. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, you know, um, the things that Ryan actually did with the force in that way, I thought were pretty cool. And again, they kind of yeah. just like, uh, you know, you expect Luke to pull out hopefully a force power you've never seen before because he is supposed to be like, you know, he, he's like the ultimate Jedi at this point, or at least we're supposed to, well, I you mean, know, we'd hoped uh, the, he'd be. So, yeah, I, I it, didn't really in have a, any issues in a with sense, that
0: stuff. In a sense as well, it's just an extension of what we saw with Ray and Kylo through the whole film. So I, like, I never had a problem with the the whole projection thing. It's, you know, I was like, oh, cool. Uh, I mean, I, in terms of a surprise moment, I think that it's, it's less cool on repeat viewings simply because once the O. Henry factor is gone, it's like, okay, I know he's not, you know, so I, you know, I, I think it works against itself on repeat viewings. So it's. It's an interesting sort of conundrum, but at the same time, I think it's a cool power, and again, just an extension of what we saw right. through the whole film. Well,
2: and what I what I do love about it too is that Luke does n- Luke by doing that doesn't allow Kylo to be responsible for his death, right? You know, which I think is such a an act of grace that he's showing Kylo. Um, he's yeah. going to confront him, uh, and all of that but he's not going to allow him to be the one that causes his death. Luke is the one that allows his spirit to kind of, you know, ascend into the force. right? Uh, so, and I think that's a really, that's a really neat moment. And, and it's a, I think it's the right choice at that moment. Um, so I I, 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 again, I think that part of, of what Ryan did there is great. Um, and it, you know, it's still a very neat scene. Um, so one of the things that was fascinating to me, um, because it has been a long time uh, in Star Wars since we've had a documentary like this. Yep. Um, the Director and the Jedi, it's over an hour and a half long. Um, and I'm wondering uh, what you thought of it. What, what did you pull out of this one? Um, what was interesting to you about it? And uh, did, you, did you enjoy getting to watch through this as, as much as maybe like, uh, you know, Empire of Dreams or The Beginning or the documentary they did for um, uh, The Force Awakens?
0: Uh, I, I liked it better than um, any of the extras that I saw for Force Awakens. Um, I thought that it was, uh, in a large sense, refreshingly honest. Um, but in other ways, there were there were moments that very much felt too manufactured, um, uh, too guarded, um, you know, too aware of the camera, sort of stuff. I I enjoy any documentary where I get to see the director in process or explain their thinking or even the department heads who get to talk about the experience. That says a lot to me, and I can honestly say that seeing the director in the Jedi, I understand now why so many people. Kathleen Kennedy included said it was such a joy working with him. He seems like a really great guy to work with. He seems like a really supportive guy, yeah. a really uh, you know willing to share credit, really collaborative. I think that he has all the qualities that you would want in somebody that you're working for. You know that would be a lot of fun to work with. That said, any ding that I give is because there were there were moments that felt um like I thought the ending took a little bit too long to resolve. It was one of those things where it was like, okay, okay, let's 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 move along i it was unfortunate that I, I like I don't know how I feel about how much Carrie Fisher was featured in it. um I don't know if it was too little. I don't know if it was. Enough. I don't know it's so weird because it just seems it it didn't seem as open as the other parts of the documentary, uh, which I found interesting. but again, the title of it is the Director and the Jedi. So it seems like the focus should have been on Ryan Johnson and you know Mark Hamill. Uh, through the through the process. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I thought it was thoroughly enjoyable. I, I was glad I watched it, and I have to give uh, Disney and Lucasfilm, one of the things we've complained loudest about with Force Awakens and Rogue One home releases is where the hell is my exhaustive documentary? And they came through,
2: and they delivered it. So, yeah, kudos. Um, you know, looking back on what they did for the, uh, Rogue One release, um, you know, I they had a very troubled past. Yeah. Uh, even as the day of re recording, there was some news that came out about the the behind the scenes stuff for Rogue One, and so uh, you know, I I think you know they Disney loves to control the narrative. You know, I'm not afraid to say that they do. Yes, they do. And here it was easy because Ryan does make it easy for them. And I think that is the thing that uh, one of the things I did come away with was um, that Ryan is a great guy, you know? Yeah. Um, He just is. You know, He's a great guy, and I feel like um, he would be um, a joy to work with and a lot of fun. He is kind of like a huge kid in a candy store. I mean, even when he just walked into those production offices and they'd show him something and he'd just laugh, you know, like like he sounded like a a kid, you know, just laughing because he's just he has so much joy of seeing what they're doing. And so, um, but I, I, from where you were able to pinpoint your issue, you know, with uh, Balance of the Force, for me, the director and the Jedi was able to finally pin down what it was for me uh, about The Last Jedi. And at the beginning, they're talking about him writing the story mm-hmm. and the idea that Um, and I think even Kathy is a part of this conversation with Ryan and they're kind of going, uh, the, the, you know, the, the editing is bringing all these people in, but they're talking about how, you know, obviously for, uh, George and the original trilogy and the prequels, it's personal. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, and so he had to find out what was personal for him for, uh, this film. And as much as I appreciate that thought process, and I I think that it's a halfway decent idea, I think that the problem is is that for the episodic films, because they are all following a linear story of a family uh, through successive generations, and because they have beforehand, all six of them have come from the same person's mind, and then the seventh... Did a good job of fitting in with that mold, you know, um, and a needed to be able to find Ryan Johnson's personality as well as the George Lucas sensibilities of storytelling and structure and those kind of things um, to be able to continue the tone poem in a way that felt congruous with everything that came before. I
0: You know what I'm gonna build on that because I th- I do think you're on to something there, but uh, I will also say that yes, uh, Lucas did tell personal things we We've all heard my theories about you know certain things that carried over from his personal life into say yeah. episode three and stuff like that and you can see very much a personal story in the prequels of Lucas revisiting what everything meant to him but but the mission statement of Star Wars, if you go back to the original making of Star Wars from 1978 that, you know, that came out, narrated by William Conrad, I have the thing practically memorized because in the era of videotape, I possessed that far longer than I possessed any copy of the film. I can tell you that he sat there and he said one of his goals was to create a good, wholesome adventure. He was telling personal things but he was telling them in the context also of larger ideas and stories for lack of a better term mythologies that he wanted to convey so it wasn't just a personal story it was also a bigger story with lessons he was trying to teach along the way and Um, I think that that speaks to maybe what longtime fans like us sometimes aren't connecting with the sequel trilogy is we're getting the sense of entertainment and we're maybe even getting the personal stuff coming across, but we're looking for that... I I, I don't know how to describe it, but you get what I'm going for,
2: right? Yeah, and I think to continue on that thread... Um, I'll bring us back to our conversation, you know, we had with Henry Gilroy and ourselves about the end of um, Rebels. And it's very clear what's personal for Dave Filoni in those stories. Mm-hmm. It's, it's obvious. It's the wolves. I mean, there's so many things in there that are very personal for him Ahsoka coming back, all of this stuff, right? And yet, none of it feels out of place or Mm -hmm. incongruous with everything else that we've done before. Uh, And yet some of it's new and exciting and different, very different. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen space whales save the day before. That Um, is true. So, you know, I I think all of those things, it it is a mixture of everything that Dave understands about Star Wars storytelling. What you were talking about, this mythological storytelling idea of – Um, values and understanding these things, putting all that together with his own personal, he learned how to be able to combine the Lucasian with the Felonian, and you put those two together and he was able to create kind of a new flavor of Star Wars that still felt like the old, and I do think that that's one of the things that the the sequel trilogy, and especially I think The Last Jedi just was not able to do because there was there was kind of a rejection in some places I felt like, as you rightly pointed out, this Lucasian Star Wars, specifically in the sense of feeling like we're negating the work that had been done in Return of the Jedi. Well,
0: and I also think that uh, The Last Jedi, I do, I, I at no point would take anything away from Ryan Johnson Um, I again seems like a great guy great collaborator decent human being all of that stuff I think that his sensibilities were more suited to a standalone than an episode yes
2: yes absolutely and I I think I think
0: that's what the direct what the director in the Jedi teases out is if he had done a movie about a Jedi on a similar sort of thing that wasn't Luke Skywalker and wasn't in this arc. And I I think it gets back to this sort of underlying wish that I can't shake that Disney, that the Disney era Lucasfilm had just done standalones instead of episodes. Because I think that, I think that I go into a Rogue One or a Solo or you know, when I sit down for the Game of Thrones guys movies or Ryan Johnson's next trilogy, I'm going to sit down saying, this is your story. Have fun. There's a different sort of thing with an episode. And yeah, so... You, I, because you, you don't
2: know. have those expectations. I mean, and again, that's the thing. And, and there's a reason why. Because for six films, we have a certain expectation now of what should come uh it should fall in line with what we've gotten before and that doesn't mean it can't be surprising or i mean you know george lucas surprised a lot of people when he had anakin be a little kid in the first movie you know and and then the way all it all played out there were some serious surprises there for people but it of course always feels true um because it's it's Lucas who is is doing this this tome poem thing um, and continuing that. And I I would say this um, I don't think that this is just I, I don't think this has much to do as much with Ryan Johnson as it does with just the overall creation of the sequel trilogy. Um, right. Because I think what it needed was um, a massive. Uh, connection and collaboration with everyone who is going to be involved with the sequel trilogy. Yes, sitting down to figure it out, um, and then to enact their game plan because they they knew it was going to happen. Um, right, and because this is not the Marvel universe, again, you can make them feel more Marvel-y movies in the sense of like they can be different things when they're when they're not the the sequels to the episodes when they're not episodes. And so, right. um, and I, I, you know, I, again, I can't place, that's not Ryan's fault. He came in and did what they asked him to do really. Uh, and he, he used all of the freedom that they gave him. So that's, again, that's not his fault either.
0: Right. Um, I, I I can't um,
2: blame, I can't blame Ryan for doing what Ryan wanted to do when they gave him the freedom to do what he wanted to do.
0: Well, and, and I think that um, this is something that, you know, I keep coming back to that I I think really needs to be very clear. I know, you know, everybody knows how charged these discussions have been. And I think that we're we're saying very clearly, it's possible to have disagreements with what Mm -hmm. the director chose to do And that does not mean I think he is a bad person or doesn't have talent or anything like that. There are tons of movies that I watch where I say, eh, you know, I'm not. And if I (laughs) and if I watch the making of stuff like, you know, I I remember um, watching the or, you know, listening to the commentary of Sleepy Hollow, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. And then where he explained a couple of things. And I remember sitting there with my girlfriend at the time and, you know, my face scrunching up and going, oh, yeah, no, that's why that didn't work. You know, like and it's you, you know, it's fine. It's it is what it is and you know, I I mean it doesn't it doesn't make us uh people who are clinging on to anything. It's just you know, he did his movie and we're critiquing it the way we would any movie and it doesn't take anything away from who he is or mm-hmm. what he's accomplished. Right. I mean, he's directed one more star Wars movie than I ever have. So, you know, like, Hey, yeah, you know, he kind of won the lottery on that one. So I can't take that away from him.
2: Well, there are, um, some other great extras. Uh, I know you haven't gotten to listen to the audio commentary just no. yet. Um, just time wise, um, but it is interesting. Uh, some of the stuff you heard in, in, in Saul and Director that, uh, and the Jedi kind of gets repeated a little bit, but I think it's definitely a very interesting thing uh, to listen through. Um, there are some places where I wish Ryan had talked more in depth about certain areas I would have really liked to have heard his thoughts on because I enjoy listening to him talk about what he thought and why he was doing something because, again, he's a very thoughtful person and he does explain things very well. Um, but uh, overall, I really enjoyed that. Um, the scene breakdowns were actually pretty cool too uh that they did uh lighting the spark creating the space battle and um snoke and mirrors showdown at crate all of those were pretty neat as they just kind of broke down how they did certain things um so definitely enjoyable to watch um andy circus live was interesting did you see that one at all john yes he's a tremendous performer amazing and Am- tremendous. I, I don't know why andy circus doesn't get more stuff just as an actor
0: Oh, I completely agree. I think he's so that good. Um, Yeah. He's he's a terrific actor. I think he was criminally underused in the Marvel universe. I oh, mean, he absolutely. he was a great he really brought a character to life that and
2: you know, as a testament I to his I would say he was skill. criminally underused in Star Wars too, but
0: well, yeah, that's a whole other discussion,
2: isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um
0: no, but yeah, I I he's He's an electrifying guy. Like I, and you have to give him so much credit because you can yes. see the other yes. actors responding to him while he has all this junk on his face yeah, and mean, around he his looks body.
2: ridiculous,
0: right? Yeah, but he. <laughs> but, yes. what a performer that he can still capture them. I mean, he's he is at his core, I think, probably just as amazing an actor uh, as Daniel Day Lewis. Because he inhabits something so, yeah, I agree. But Daniel Day Lewis has the advantage of dressing and looking like his character, and Andy Serkis, you know, he's either an ape or an eight foot tall mystery character, or you know, like it's it's crazy. He's amazing.
2: He's an international man of mystery in this. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last, uh, the last one that I'm thinking about that. Uh, come, and I agree with everything you said. It was so much fun to watch his performance. Like He's just incredible. Uh, it's one of the things I loved about watching the extras for The Hobbit when he was doing the scene with Martin Freeman in the cave. Um, again, it, it's just one of those places where he's just so phenomenal. Yeah, uh, as an actor, and the scene just flies off the screen because, it, I mean, you're just electrified. So, yeah, it's the same thing here. I mean, honestly, too, the throne room scene is the best scene in the film anyway. Yes. So, I mean, it just, hands down, is the best scene in the film. Um, the last thing, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to take a look at this at all, but is the score-only version of the film. No, you know, I've
0: been... I uh, I watched all the extras. I, I'm purpose, I purposely... I'm watching all the extras to see if it makes any um, impact on my overall review of Last Jedi. Like I want to go in with all of the stuff, and I've wrestled with the idea of whether I'm going to rewatch uh, just the straight version or rewatch it as score only first. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm back and forth on that. Have you watched the score only?
2: I have not watched the entire thing score only. I've watched a probably a good third or more of it and it's interesting um I, I i not to be overly critical but watching its score only accentuates for me personally the weakness of this star wars score oh yeah no that's a fair that's a fair comment because i was
0: not overly nuts about the score either
2: um and it surprises me uh, because they, I do feel like uh, there are moments in the film uh, even that opening battle where I would have loved um, Williams to use more than just the the um, first order theme and the resistance theme back and forth kind of thing like to create a yeah. new thing but then I was thinking about it in my head too I was like well this movie literally takes place you know maybe days at most at most. So, you know, whereas the original trilogy and the prequel trilogies, there's this time period gap. So each movie has different sounds, but some similar things too. So I'm wondering if that was part of, you know, William's thought process when creating this score is that the music cannot be overly different because... We really haven't had any time pass. I don't know if that had been thought of part of his thought process um, when he's writing the score. Um, right. So I don't know um, that may be me maybe me making
0: an excuse, but may, maybe the thing then is to listen to or watch a score only version of The Force Awakens, right into a score only version of The Last Jedi, and see if that that score yeah it could make sense on that on that level. But I honestly. If you're gonna give me a score only version of The Last Jedi, um, um there are uh, six other films where yes, I yes. actually <laughs> really like to have that happen. Oh,
2: can you imagine episode three score only oh. version, especially just the beginning?
0: Oh are you are you oh please are you? I, kidding?
2: I'm I'm breaking my own heart right now.
0: I so. just I I mean I that is I mean, episode three has my absolute favorite opening oh, to transitional cue of the entire saga just with the I remember it taking my breath away when the camera was panning down and you just heard the drums. Yep. It was so amazing. Bum,
2: bum, bum. Bum, right. Bum, it was like, I was bum, like, What's bum. going on? Yes. This is different. I don't know what's happening. Uh yeah. man. Um so I do have one more question before you before we get out of here, John. Uh, because yeah. I gotta tell you the rays of crate are getting a little steamy and hot. Um but yeah. uh the salt throws so, you out. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and the salt's not doing me any favors either. Although it is great for margarita glasses. So well, um, you would
0: you would think that the saltines supply would uh, be you know,
2: oh very, well, they're very, endless. You know. um, <laughs> yeah, and I tell you what, those like uh, those Volpexes, little crystalline foxes, are so great at bringing you more food. Um, yeah. Uh, I just I'm just like, hey, beer me, and they you know. So now um, now
0: <laughs> now I'm wondering what it would be like to pet those. Did you get splinters? Ooh, you have to get ooh, splinters, crystalline right?
2: splinters sounds awful. Yeah, it um, does, doesn't it? Okay, so, uh, but the last question is this. Um, watching these extras, did it move the needle either way for you um, for The Last Jedi?
0: In terms of how I regard the film overall, no. But it did, I think, blunt some of the some of the criticisms I've been more vocal about because once I understand somebody's thinking for things, I can at least say, well, I still disagree with you, but at least I know where you were coming from,
2: you know? Mm-hmm.
0: So that, that's um, where I stand. what about you?
2: I will be honest. It kind of hurt. The, the, um, I I think that the the rewatch that I did with um, the director's commentary by the time I was done, um, this movie moved from a three to a two and a half.
0: Ouch! Um, so you're saying watch the score only version is what you're telling
1: me.
2: <laughs> so and it wasn't because of anything Johnson was saying. Like I didn't learn anything new there, but um, it, to me the 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 amount of problems with the storytelling it it just it's too much it's too much um so uh and i'll be fascinating you know i think um with this we'll probably for a while be wrapping up what we say about the last jedi because we got solo coming out we've got plenty of other things that we're going to want to do here um Uh, yeah
0: and and, you know i i just want to say really quick at this point, especially because all of the arguments have struck up again uh, with Last Jedi, I think I'm on some level looking forward to Solo just so we all oh, have something different God. to talk yes, about. Absolutely. Let us move on,
2: please. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. You know, um, gosh, uh, Ron Howard has, has made it look so much fun um, with the pictures he's been tweeting and stuff. So yeah, yeah I'm definitely ready. Look, if you're listening to this and you love The Last Jedi, and I appreciate you listening, um, you know, I I don't hate Ryan Johnson. I don't hate the movie uh, because there are some amazing things in it. Um, And I am still very interested to see where they take the story next. And honestly, um, I think that it's going to have to be wowing because Mm – I don't know where you go next. I really don't know what, exactly what you do next after this ending. So I, I'm I'm intrigued, you know, uh, color me intrigued. So, um, John, if anybody wants to talk to you about, uh, you know, the extras here or anything <laughs> else that you're, that you're thinking about Star Wars, uh, where can they find you there on the old interwebs?
0: Nobody ever wants to talk to me about these things. I don't know why. You can find me here on the network co-hosting Great Shot Kid with Mike Schindler, and you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. Matt, if people want to either harass or applaud you for your views here, where can they reach you?
2: Well, I mean, gosh, that's what the internet's for. Um, I'm on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram under the same name. Um, I'm also here on the network doing another show with Dre Kaufman uh, as we talk all about Harry Potter one chapter at a time on Owl Post, so that's a lot of fun. I'm on the Trek FM network talking with... Chris Jones, all about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine and the Orb, and then I do the General Geek Show over there, the Six Hundred Two Club, which is just a blast. Uh, in fact, I was just planning the solo show there, which yeah. John should be on, uh, because he you can't never not know, be on. I might be hiding I, I on never an know. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, and then I'm doing Cinema Stories with my friend Courtney, uh, talking about film through the lens of faith. But I gotta say, John, I think it there's only one le- thing left to say. And that's, it's time to close negotiations. Matt, negotiations are closed.
1: Join the revolution, join the nerd party. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?